Hey, and thanks for tuning in to the Father's House podcast. The Father's House exists to see people discover life in Jesus. We hope that today's message brings you fresh life and renewed hope as you listen. Enjoy. All right, well, hey, uh, we started a brand new series last week, and uh, if you were here, uh, you know all about it. If you were not here, we are calling this series 23 and Me. Uh, and if you were not here, we also should have given you a DNA test kit as you walked in the door this morning so that we can walk through the genealogy journey. I'm just kidding. That's not what we're doing around here, right? No blood samples at church. Uh, no, we are going to be looking at the uh, famous Psalm chapter 23. And as I mentioned last weekend, um, I think that this is probably one of the most overquoted and underapplied scriptures in the Bible. And the reason I say underapplied is because often when you hear Psalm chapter 23, it's too little too late. It's at somebody's funeral or it's in the midst of a dire situation. Um, but I wholeheartedly believe that there are truths, there are applications in this psalm that we can apply to our everyday life. And we don't have to wait till we're dead for someone to read it over us, but we can actually use this psalm on a Tuesday, on a Thursday, on a Saturday. And if you were here last week, you know that we talked all about how this psalm talks about overcoming fear and living with the nearness of Jesus. So I'm going to read Psalm 22 to you and uh, we'll jump into the sermon this morning. It says this, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures and he leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will not be afraid for you are with me. We talked about that scripture last week. If you were not here, catch it on the podcast, check, uh, check it out on the YouTube channel. Uh, we all deal with fear and we need to know how to overcome it. Amen? Amen. Okay, come on, I need to make sure this is my church. Okay, this is a hollaback church. We talk to each other, all right? Don't get weird on me now, all right. It says, uh, for you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the Father's house forever. Just throwing that out there for consideration. So we're going to jump into this a little bit deeper, and uh, before we do, um, I need to take a moment at the beginning of the sermon today, and I need to repent. I need to confess before all of you. Um, my wife brought it to my attention that during the sermon last weekend, um, I lied. I was dishonest, okay? And the last thing I want to be known as among the brethren here is a liar, all right? I'm a lot of things, but I'm not a liar. Here's what I said last week that was untrue. I mentioned during the sermon that I have never done yoga before. As it turns out, I have actually yogaed uh, before in my life. Um, I was on a vacation, and it wasn't just that I yogaed. Um, I yogaed in the jungle, in a treehouse, <laughs> in the humidity, which I think is the echelon of yoga. So I just need to get that off my chest to make sure that we're all on the same page. In my defense, I was in a state of vacation relaxation uh, and I was not trusted to make rational decisions. So I clearly blocked it out of my memory, which is why I said what I said. But I just want us to be clear and you know, open and transparent here. Uh, will you guys forgive me this morning? Okay, thank you. To all of the yoga people that I offended, may you live long and prosper in your stretchy pants and your essential oils. Awesome, amen. Amen. All right, so we're going to get into this this morning, and uh, for the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk about kind of a relational theme that we find here in Psalms chapter 23, and that is the relationship between a shepherd and his sheep. 
Um, as I prepped this last week, uh, I, I dug up a bunch of content, and it turns out there was more content than we had time for this morning, and so I had to decide between giving you a really long sermon or breaking it up into two that were slightly abbreviated. And because I love you and I didn't want you to have to endure me talking for too long, uh, we're going to break it up into two. So uh, we're going to start talking about the sheep and the shepherd this week, and we will conclude it next week with the second portion of the application. But the sheep and the shepherd. For those of you who are uh, not new to the team, maybe you've been part of the body of Christ for a length of time, you know that David, the author of this psalm, Psalm chapter 23, uh, was a shepherd before he was a king. And as the youngest of seven sons, it was in fact his responsibility to take care of his father's flock, of his father's sheep. And uh, he spent a lot of time during his young years around sheep. Uh, as a shepherd, it was not kind of a nine to five job where you just clocked in at nine and then you clocked out at five o'clock and you went home. In those days, in biblical days, a shepherd would spend all of his time around his sheep. He would sleep with the sheep at nighttime and make sure they were protected and make sure they were safe and make sure they got fed during the day. You lived your life among the sheep. And so you can imagine as David probably doesn't have any friends, just hangs out with animals and there are still some people like that in our society. God bless them. Um, Someone clapped. No, don't clap for that. Uh, <laughs> uh, he, he got really acquainted with the behavior and the patterns of sheep. In fact, if you look throughout the Psalms and many of the writings, you'll find that he, he draws a lot of analogies between sheep and humanity or the shepherd and his sheep. And, and in this, this discussion biblically, we find often that God equates the patterns of humanity to the patterns of of sheep, And such was the case in this story. He says, he starts out, uh, the Lord is my shepherd. Now, if God is our shepherd, then that makes us? Come on, talk back with me. Sheep, yeah, we're sheep. You're right, you, made it, you, you are the sheep. Turn to the person next to you, give him a little bat, okay? Let's just little, give him a little bat. <laughs> Some of y'all are so desperate, you just flirted with that. That's awesome. Bat, bat. That's good. You are the sheep. So we're gonna look at the first two verses here today. Uh, Psalm chapter 23, verse one and two. He says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters and he restores my soul. Uh, if you would like to take notes today, we're gonna to title this chat, Want Not, Wander Not. Want Not, Wander Not. Let me pray and we'll get into it. Uh, Father, we love you today, and I thank you for your presence, Jesus, in this house. Even what Brandon mentioned a moment ago, I thank you that your presence is an indicator that you are here among us to set people free, to break chains, to see the names that exalt themselves against you bow down in your presence, whether that name is sickness or lack or fear or whatever it might be. God, we thank you that as we are in your presence, uh, we know that you are going to deliver us from anything today that is holding us back from you. And as we go to your word, like we do every single week, we don't do so just to hear somebody talk, pontificate up there. We're here because we believe that your word has the power to change us. It can transform our lives. It can cut between soul and spirit, bone and marrow. It can get to right, right in the heart of where we're living and transform the way we're living life as we leave this place. So God, I pray over the next couple of moments for all of us who have kind of a wandering heart or we aren't rested, we aren't still in you, Lord, that you would do a deep work among us, a deep work in our hearts today so that we could know we are on solid ground. We are steadfast in you, in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen, amen. Uh, how many of you like to travel? Anyone in the room likes to travel? Get, oh, with a lot of people, okay. Uh, how many of you don't like to travel? You're kind of the stay home people, you're the homebodies. Okay, a few of you guys. How many aren't gonna raise your hand no matter what I say? Okay, good, all right. 
uh, yeah, I, I love to travel. My wife and I, we love to travel, uh, go to new cultures and, and see new places and eat new food. And we try to do that thing where we integrate ourselves into a society of people and try to look like locals and act like locals when we're there, which is great for me because I fit in anywhere there's brown people, which is awesome. No one really knows who I am or what I am, and it's great. So uh, I don't fit in so well in Germany or you know Switzerland, but everywhere else, like it's all good. Uh, but I've noticed something in our mid-30s here uh, that we don't really travel or see the world like we used to. We've kind of gotten predictable and one-dimensional when it comes to seeing the globe. And I think it's the kids that ruined it for me. Um, before we had children, we would just pick up and we'd go wherever we want to go and, you know, find some slightly dangerous place and immerse ourselves in the culture and just go around the world. It was great. But then we had kids and now vacation is really all about what the kids want to do or where are they going to actually be able to sleep through the night and where's the food that they're actually going to eat. And it's pretty much ruined our vacation life. Um, <laughs> but because Jesus loves us, uh, he has given us some BFFs uh, that love to travel. They're avid travelers and they're very inclusive with their travel. So uh, they talked us into leaving our children, which was not hard to do. And, uh, and going to a new place we'd never been to before, uh, that they'd never been to before, and we went on this amazing trip over the summer. We tapped into our inner wanderlust once again. And uh, I'm not exaggerating when I say this. Um, it was literally the, <laughs> the perfect trip. Like, the best, you know those trips that are like, they become the standard that all other vacations are measured against? It was that kind of a vacation. It was incredible. The accommodations were good. The food was amazing. The people were amazing. It was the perfect balance of adventure and relaxation and no one was excessively bloated. And it, like I mentioned, our kids weren't there. I mean, it was awesome. The, everything about this trip was incredible. But something happened during the course of the trip that I was thinking about this last week as I studied Psalm chapter 23. I don't remember what day it was, but somewhere amidst our relaxation, we're sitting in the pool sipping on umbrella drinks and eating chips and salsa and staring out at the ocean. Sounds magical, doesn't it? And all of a sudden, in the middle of the conversation, it turned to the next trip we were going to take. Has this ever happened to you before? You're like on a vacation, talking about your next vacation, <laughs> like wondering where you're going to go next. And the conversation starts to, you know, well, have you been here before? What about this place? And oh, the weather this time of year is incredible. And oh, let's, let's, Let's talk about the kind of food that they have there. And suddenly someone breaks out a phone and we're researching hotels and weather systems and restaurants and we're already mentally wandering to another place. We, we were literally sitting in like the perfect place, in a pool, drink in hand, non-alcoholic, maybe. <laughs> Enjoying the ocean, the weather, it was incredible. Yet, for whatever reason, we're emotionally, mentally wandering to a new place. What is it about human nature in our humanity that even though we could be sitting in the midst of what we thought we always wanted, in the midst of a situation that looks amazing, like it is the blessing of God, like people pray and ask for this, what is it about our human nature, we can be sitting in a situation like that and begin to wander and wonder what else is out there. Refusing to ever settle. I'll tell you what it is. It is our inner sheep. 
It's the sheep inside all of us. I did a ton of research over the last week and a half about sheep. I know more about sheep than I ever wanted to know about sheep in my life. You can ask me anything about a sheep and I can tell you about a sheep. But among my research, here's what I discovered. The most dominant trait of a sheep's nature is its propensity to wander. Sheep don't know how to stay still. They don't know how to settle. They are always wandering. Uh, There's this quote from Aristotle, clearly someone I read a lot. And uh, he says this, a sheep is a foolish and sluggish creature, aptest of anything to wander. And if that's not churchy enough for you, here's what Isaiah says in Isaiah 53, six. He says, all of us like sheep have gone astray. There is something in our sheep-like nature something on the inside of all of us that is prone to wander. Doesn't know how to settle. Doesn't know how to enjoy the green pastures or the still waters that God has for us. Something that always wants to move from where we are to somewhere else. It's the wanderer in all of us. And here's the interesting thing about our culture. We have somehow, and I think we're probably the only generation that's ever done this before, we have equated wandering to blessing. We've begun to think that this unsettled wanderlust inside all of us is actually God's hand or the blessing of God in our life. Think about your culture for a moment. We don't commit to anything anymore. We don't commit to a job. We don't commit to a city. We don't commit to a relationship. People are getting married far later in life in this generation than any generation prior. It's not because there ain't options out there. There's some great ones. Look around. (laughs) People don't want to settle down. They don't want to put down roots. People, People don't want to commit to anything. There's like this nomadic wanderer inside all of us. And we think it's a good thing. Like the echelon, the dream of society is to not have to account to anybody. Don't have to tether myself to anybody. I can pick up and go wherever I want, whenever I want. I can work from a bus that I turned into a house and I don't actually have to live in a house and I can go to any country and no one can tell me what to do. Like this is, this is the dream. I, I never have to, to, to plant myself anywhere. But let me remind you today that biblically speaking, Wandering has never been associated with a blessing. If you go back through your Bible take and I slow read through the Old Testament, here's what you'll find. Wandering has always been a punishment. It's always been a curse. When Cain killed his brother Abel, what did God do? He sent him to the land of Nod, which means the land of aimless wandering. It was a curse for his sin. In fact, the, the, the people of God, the Israelites, when they disobeyed God, what was their punishment? They had to wander around the wilderness for 40 years and they never got to settle. They never got to put down roots in the promised land that God had for them. He's like, I've got this green pasture. I've got some still waters. I've got these beautiful cities. They're yours if you want them. But because of disobedience, they had to wander. Let us not be another generation that gets confused about what wandering truly is. It is not a blessing. It is in fact a punishment, it's a curse. 
And David describes what blessing is supposed to look like. He's like, God has this amazing spread for you. He's got a field for you and some waters and some rest for your soul. A place where you can put down some roots. A place where you don't have to just visit occasionally. Your soul isn't just temporarily at rest, but a place where you can truly lie down and settle and say, this is God's best for me. That's his plan for your life. Let me tell you how I pray for our church. If you've been a part of the the Father's house since day one, you know that Isaiah 62 is is our main scripture here at the Father's house. It's what we believe is a prophetic word over our city. And one of the promises in Isaiah 62, verse five, it says, your children, when speaking about the city, your children will commit themselves to you like a young man commits himself to his bride. I am praying that God brings a a generation of people to the Father's house that don't see this as a temporary pit stop or one of many churches they might try out or one of many cities that they might try out, but they would actually plant themselves in this city, that they would raise their families in this city, that they would not say, okay, now that I've had some children, I gotta move to the East Bay because the weather's a little bit better out there and the schools are a little bit easier to get. No, they would say, this is my city and I believe that there is a good plan in God's heart for San Francisco. I'm gonna come commit myself, just like a young man looks at his bride and says, you are mine and I'm with you until death do us part. That we would have that kind of an attitude and that kind of a commitment to this place. That's how I pray for you. Well, I don't want you to pray for me like that. Too bad. (laughs) Stuck here. There is a blessing attached to settling commitment, steadfastness in a place. So so let me make this personal. Let me ask you a question. Where are you at on the wandering spectrum in your life? How's your soul? Is it settled? Is there a place of, I I feel like I can lie down in the place that God has entrusted to me? Or are you a little agitated? Are you poking your head over the fence like, yeah, this field's cool, but what that field over there? It's a good-looking field. I like that field. Are you a wanderer? Do you remember when, remember when you prayed with every ounce of your passion that God would give you that job? You remember when you called all your friends and you're like, if you would just fast and pray with me, I I submitted my resume. I'm praying that God would open up the door for this job. And you, you remember when you prayed that prayer and God opened up the door and now you're working at your dream job? So so why are you wandering looking for something else after only being there for a few months and thinking, well, maybe there's something better out there for me? You remember when you pursued that girl that was way out of your league? Like way out of your league. (laughs) Had no business being with a joker like you. (laughs) And you asked her out and you sent the flowers and you wrote poetry. You had no business writing poetry. (laughs) Roses are red, violets are blue. Let's get married and have babies too. Remember when she said yes? You stood at that altar and you made a commitment until death do us part. So so why now are you wandering 
online? Why are you wandering in your fantasies and in your thoughts? And why are you wandering with your eyes? You remember when you prayed that 911 prayer that so many Christians pray? God, if you get me out of this situation, if you get me out of debt, I'm gonna give. I'm gonna start tithing. Yeah, if you, if you get me out of this, I'm gonna serve you for the rest of my life. If you heal this sickness, God, I promise I will believe. And he did. He got you out of that situation. He provided for the need. He healed the sickness. So why, why have you wandered on your commitment that you made? I think there's something that all of us could resonate with. The writer of that hymn, Robert Robinson, when he said, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. There's something in all of us that is prone to wander. Let me ask you today, how's that working for you? How's that wandering mentality working for you? Why can't you just settle? Let me tell you why I think it is. It's because you're thirsty. Not like that, stop. <laughs> or maybe. <laughs> You're hungry and you're grappling for something to truly satisfy only to be left wanting again. Among the readers that I researched, or excuse me, uh, authors that I researched this last week, there was a guy by the name of uh, Philip Keller and uh, he wrote a book before he passed away in 1997. He was a, sh a shepherd that was born in Kenya and he wrote a book called A Shepherd's Look at Psalms, chapter 23. And look at what he writes in his book. This is the perspective of a shepherd. He said, a sheep cannot rest unless it is content. If it's hungry or thirsty, it will never lie down. I think that statement so accurately depicts the condition of our nation, the condition of our culture incapable of lying down and resting and settling and committing because it is starved and it is dehydrated. We are starving for companionship. So we wander from one unhealthy relationship to another unhealthy relationship, trying to find what we're looking for only to be left wanting. We are starving for significance. We are starving for fulfillment. So we run from job to job or we stay endlessly in college for way longer than we need to, hoping that we can find our purpose. I'm preaching to somebody right now. Oh, maybe I'll find my calling in college. But yet at the end of it, you got that piece of paper and you're still left wanting. We are physically and emotionally dehydrated. And so we drink from the well of what the world has to offer, whether it's a substance or any other coping mechanism, hoping that it will satisfy, but we're still thirsty. We're still hungry. We're still unsatisfied and we're left wanting. But listen to me today. That is not God's plan for your life. That is not God's best for your future. You were not left as a sheep to just wander from pasture to pasture and hope that you would find something that satisfies. No, David shared with you the state of mind and the state of being that God has prepared for all of us. The Lord is my shepherd and I shall not want. There's nothing in me that wants. There's nothing in me that needs. I am 
I'm settled here. That word want in the Hebrew, it's an interesting word. It's kasar in the Hebrew. And here's what it means. To be completely full. To have need for nothing. In fact, the NLT reads, the Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. It's like you're completely stuffed to the brim and there is no room for more. It's like that moment at the restaurant, you know, when you're at the restaurant and you finish eating an amazing meal and the waiter comes over and he's like, would you like to look at a dessert menu? And we all know the rule normally is absolutely there's always room for dessert. And if you say no, it's not because you don't have room. It's because you intend to go to another establishment where they have better desserts. My pr- okay, this is just me. All right. But every once in a while, you have that meal that is so satisfying and you've eaten so much that even if the waiter walked over with the best dessert on the planet on the menu, the apex of the dessert pyramid, the pizuki, if it's right there, you still can't take it in because you are so full and you are so satisfied. I, I, I'm sorry, I have all that I need. I, I have no want left in me. I'm not hungry, I'm not thirsty, I'm completely full. You can, you can take that back. David says, the Lord is my shepherd. I'm completely full. I have no room for more. There's nothing left in me that wants. I, I am completely satisfied. And what was the source of his satisfaction? If we're not careful, we will begin to think that what David states in verse one is because of what he states in verse two. Follow me for a moment, because this is where so many people get it twisted. He says, the Lord's my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. We will think that David's state of satisfaction in verse one was based on what God gave him in verse two. Oh, it's because God gave him the green pasture and the still water. He gave him the field and the drink that he needed. And so he's fully satisfied. I want to submit to you this morning that that is not what satisfied David. If it were, the verb tense would read like this. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He made me to lie down in green pastures. He led me beside the still waters and he restored my soul. He would be pointing back to something that God already did but he doesn't. That's not what David says. His faith, his fulfillment is not tied in something that God can do for him. No, he says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. And then he puts a period at the end of that sentence, because it doesn't matter if anything were to come after that statement. His fulfillment was not found in a field or a fountain or anything else that God could give to him. His fulfillment was found in the fact that the Lord was his shepherd. It could read, the Lord is my shepherd, therefore I shall not want. I have no need on the inside of me because I understand that I have a shepherd that is always going to lead me, that is always going to provide for me. And as long as I have this relationship figured out, I don't need to worry about anything else that's out there. His fulfillment was found in knowing that the Lord was his shepherd. It was not in the blessing, it was in the blessor. It was in the one that brought him to that place. If we are not careful, church, we will arrive at a place where we think we cannot be satisfied until we find ourselves in the right field and next to the right waters with the right job and the right relationship with the right amount of money in the bank. And if that is what you are pursuing today, you will spend your entire life wandering. 
you will never be settled. Because fulfillment cannot be found in something. It's only found in someone. If you have a restless soul today, if you are wandering, it's not because you don't have what you've been looking for. That job isn't gonna fix it. That relationship isn't gonna fix it. There's only one thing that's gonna fix it, knowing the shepherd. And when you know the shepherd, you can state as David did, God, you're my shepherd. I have all that I need. That's it. I want not. And when you want not, you'll wander not. When you find your satisfaction in him, it's amazing how suddenly you'll look around instead of complaining about the job you've got, God, thank you for giving me what I have. Instead of wandering with your eyes and your mind, God, thank you for the spouse you've given me. Thank you for the incredible wife, the incredible husband that you've given me. Thank you for this city. Gratitude begins to well up inside of you because you realize this is the place that God has given you to lie down. So here's my invitation to you today. For every weary, wandering, restless soul, come back to the shepherd. Come back to the simple fulfillment in knowing Jesus. Only he can satisfy. Only he can fulfill. Only he can bring a sense of peace and solidarity to your mind. Stop looking for it elsewhere. It's only found in him. And let me land with this very simple thought. In fact, I'll invite the band to come as as I conclude. Jesus often states in the New Testament that he is the good shepherd. We'll talk a little bit more about that next week when we go into part two of the sermon. But as the good shepherd, I want you to see a statement that Jesus makes near the end of his ministry. It says in uh, John chapter seven, verse 37, on the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and he cried out saying, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. If anyone thirsts, if any of you are thirsty, come to me and you can drink. Now, this is a peculiar statement because contextually, it doesn't make sense. Uh, if, if you're familiar with Jewish holidays and you've read through this portion of the Bible, you know that Jesus is at this moment at what would be known as the, the Festival of Shelters or the, uh, the Feast of Tabernacles. It's an annual celebration where all of the Jews got together and they would celebrate uh, the fact that God, when he brought them out of Egypt and into the desert, he provided temporary housing for them out there and he provided for their needs even when they were in the shelters out in the wilderness. But more importantly, he provided a place for his presence in the tabernacle in the desert. And so even after that season, after they'd arrived in the promised land, they would celebrate this feast every single year. And historically, this was the greatest and the longest of all the feasts. In fact, they held it around harvest time because they wanted to make sure that there was enough food for all the people to just feast to their heart's content. They could eat and they can drink all they ever wanted. So for seven days, hundreds of thousands of people from all around, uh, all around Israel gathered together in Judea and they would celebrate the festival of shelters. And they would eat and they would drink and they would eat and they would drink and they would eat and they would drink. And then on the last day, they would do it all over again, but in amplified proportions. So Jesus stands up on the last day after people have been stuffing themselves and drinking themselves for the last seven days. And he goes, hey, 
Is anyone thirsty? You can come to me and you, and you can drink. I'd imagine people who didn't quite get it, like, hey, bro, um, yo, we've been like eating and drinking for the last seven days. No one here is thirsty. We're all good. We have, we have everything we need. You can take that back. But Jesus was not addressing somebody's physical state in that moment. He wasn't talking about being parched. Some of them got it. He said, hey, are, is your soul thirsty? Are you unsatisfied on the inside? Because if so, you can come to me and I'll give you something that you truly need, something that will truly satisfy. You'll find it in me. That's the invitation today. If you're unsatisfied in your soul, if you're unsettled in your soul, come to Jesus. He'll give you everything you ever need. Amen. Hey, thanks for taking the time to listen to the Father's House podcast. We hope it helped you wherever you're at in your journey. And listen, we wanna pray with you if you're going through something right now that's difficult. You can go to our website, tfh.church, and click on the prayer and praise link and tell us how to join you in prayer. Until next time, be blessed.